Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. Got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons. We've got a very special series coming at you from now and pretty much every week until the NFL draft. Going to get us through the season here. Of course, we're going to talk some news, some other things, and sprinkle that in as applicable. But we're going to do a long-term series. Uh, Katie's idea uh, put that into the uh, the cauldron of, uh, of ideas for UTH content. And this is going to be a fun one as we look back. So, so Katie, what are we be discussing and how are we kicking it off this week? Sure. Uh, so I call this the under the helmet flashback series, rather than go back to different draft classes and do a mock draft and redraft, knowing what we know now, I thought it would be more, uh, beneficial to our listeners especially with the, the class that we've got coming up, just to be able to understand true rookie values, the fluctuations from rookie season through, you know, where you think that you need to get versus just let the draft come to you and those kind of strategic things, just being a dynasty owner in general uh, with the values changing so quickly. And I looked at you and I both really started. I started heavily in a dynasty in 2014 and talking to you, you had played dynasty. You were already doing the podcast in 2013, which is where I want to start. And then next week we'll do the 2014 class and on and on and on. We'll end up with a 2022 mock draft, which will be right after the NFL combine and before the NFL draft. So that should be a lot of fun as well. But again, the goal during this time is to talk about the strategies, the ADP, you know, the risers and the fallers, the guys that under the helmet really liked the guys that we were fading and why, and did that work out and and just all those kind of fun things in general. Uh, So I wanted to start off, by throwing it to you with the running back position. And oftentimes in dynasty drafts, we'll reach for running back unnecessarily. Do you recall, I I know that Giovanni Bernard was the ADP first rookie running back off most draft boards. Uh, Eddie Lacy was pretty close. uh, Le'Veon Bell was in that third spot and Monty Ball in the fourth. But as far as, running backs, the strength of this class, the projection model that you have, what did you recall at the time as far as target players for running back, guys that you thought were a little overvalued or undervalued? Well, I'll say one thing that that I recall is that Le'Veon Bell was sort of the a lightning rod for something that has been widely discussed in the now eight, nine classes since, which is the 40 time versus a guy with functional agility, a guy that has everything else. And Le'Veon Bell has been a guy that 
I basically can mention every single year in that search for a big man, a big back who can move and can catch. And he did that in spades. Now, again, we, we need to have latitude on not expecting a guy to be 4-4, four, 4-5. Four, four, and if that ends up being 4-6, but they check every other box and Le'Veon Bell was 230 pounds. So there's some storyline aspects coming out of this 2013 class, even just running back alone, that have kind of stuck with us. I, I, I also think back to you know Giovanni Bernard, and it wasn't an overly great class. We didn't have a guy go until the second round, which back then wasn't all that common to see a class without a first rounder running back. And Giovanni Bernard, what did he have? Well, he was a two-way producer, more of a dynamo. The BMI was okay, but uh, the the size, tweener size, absolutely. And so then we had Monty Ball. Like we had every type of profile in this class alone. Like Monty Ball was the situationally valued guy that ultimately did not work out. And he went uh, beyond, behind those guys. Eddie Lacy was the big back with the pedigree from Alabama, um, but he ended up turning into a, a H back almost uh, after he produced uh, early on and faded away. And Kristen Michael, uh, Niall Davis were athletic dudes, you know, that didn't really produce as much as we wanted. Did they have the you know, the mental side of the game to really latch on and do all the responsible things in the passing game. And we had Marcus Lattimore, who probably would have been one of the first two or three backs off the board, if not, you know, I mean, a tragic Devi tale of just a number of injuries. They took a spec spot on him in the mid rounds. He never really got going health wise to get on a track to really play much. I, I would take maybe the under on 50 to 75 snaps in an NFL game uh, over the course of his entire NFL career. So those are some some of the the talk points. I remember Kristen Michael was one of my guys, you know, there in the late first round. Obviously that didn't turn out as well as Eddie Lacy who was in a similar uh, zone I believe in those rookie drafts and it was the um it was Eddie Lacy versus Jonathan Franklin, you know, that they were a couple of rounds apart and I think it's important to uh to go through that exercise i remember mike weber versus uh who was it tony pollard in this in 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 a similar ilk and i think we had another class where it was stephen ridley and shane vereen so so we've seen teams in the first five six rounds double up at running back and so we had lacy and jonathan franklin for the packers in this class but those are some of the kind of the, just the things i remember but uh kristen michael late first versus Eddie Lacy was one of them. I remember Monty Ball was going crazy high. And Giovanni Bernard, I just remember that he would he looked okay, you know, as a rookie. And then they drafted Jeremy Hill the next year in the second round as a bigger guy to be the thunder to his lightning. And so Giovanni Bernard, he kind of peaked the next offseason in that early second, maybe even late first round as a younger back that produced uh, in, in startup drafts. And then it just kind of kept going downhill. And yet I think probably the general landscape of dynasty analysis should have been a little more towards this guy's subsized, you know, and he has more, he doesn't truly have a workhorse profile and yet paying workhorse prices after that first season. Yeah. So the consensus one-on-one of rookie drafts, um, and this does not include super flex, but Giovanni Bernard was the consensus one-on-one. Eddie Lacy was, was going two overall, oh, 102. Okay. And then it wasn't until the early second that you got guys like Zach Stacy and Kristen Michael and oh, Joseph Randall. Those guys were all uh, early seconds. And so there was a 
big mixed bag in this draft class. Uh, there were six guys, no, I'm sorry, five guys that went in round two of the NFL draft. And as you mentioned, nobody had been in the first round, but that was Gio Bernard, Le'Veon Bell, Monty Ball, Eddie Lacy, and Kristen Michael. And then one full round later, Niall Davis went in the third round. He was the only guy. Uh, he was out of Arkansas. And as you mentioned, very athletic guy. He had a couple good seasons. Jonathan Franklin didn't go until round four, but because he was also at Green Bay, there was the question, is it going to be Eddie Lacy? Is it going to be Jonathan Franklin? And Jonathan Franklin's ADP as a rookie was eight. So you had Eddie Lacy at two, Jonathan Franklin at eight. And even with Marcus Lattimore's injury, he was going yeah, late first, right? at, yeah, at uh, right yeah. around nine. Yeah. Uh, and that's a lot of running backs in the first round of a rookie draft when most of them were beyond round two in the NFL draft. I think, so Fra- I think about- Franklin was situated, you know, he was day three, but still the situation of like, what if he's the answer there in green Bay? And then Lattimore was just a big name from college when he actually was healthy. But man, yeah, you look back and you say, that's a lack of pedigree for spending that on a, it reminds me of Devonte Booker, right? I mean, of just, that's not enough NFL draft pedigree to go as highly as he was in rookie drafts. Exactly. And there were times, there were moments when these guys rose and fell. And I remember Monty Ball was really hot his second year. And then he fell like a freaking uh, Led Zeppelin after that. Just a guy. yeah. Just a guy. Exactly. And uh, the leash was not long on Jonathan Franklin at all. He had, he didn't even put up one good season and he would, he was pretty much done. And the only running back from this class that ended up having String, any kind it of together, yeah. longevity. And that was Le'Veon Bell. And he number had, two is probably Latavius Murray, right? I mean, uh, talk about a deep sleeper. So he would probably be the, the second most when you look at how did they string it together at their peak. Right. But I'm talking about fantasy impact. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Latavius Murray has had some games, but as far as being a stud, Le'Veon Bell had 17 weeks total out of 94. He started 94 regular NFL, you know, during the fantasy season weeks. And of 94, he had 17 where he was top five running back. That's 18%. That's pretty doggone good. 39 weeks in the top 12, 41% of the time, more, you know, almost half the number of starts he was in a running back one zone. And then he had 68 weeks out of 94, 72% of the time he was a top 24 running back. And you could have had Le'Veon Bell. I know that he was fourth overall uh, 104, but he was going sometimes depending on the draft and if it was super flex, he was going mid to later first in, in many of the drafts. Average means average. Some people may even have taken him higher, but for the most part, even at the 104, he more than made up for, for that price. Yeah. One thing I would point out is the, the time factor. And I, and I think a lot of times, especially if you do a retrospective look, that it can be easy to be like, oh, well, you hit like, here would be an example. Oh, Rex Burkhead, massive hit. It's like, well, if it took him till year four, year five to really do much of anything, he's been on so many different dynasty teams between some rookie draft setting or thinking back to a startup draft then to actually being applicable. You might've picked him up two or three different times 
after originally picking him up for a rookie spec spot or whatever. And so that's why, you know, if Latavius Murray didn't do anything as a rookie, was he still even on the same team when you're talking about like a fourth round, fifth round UDFA sort of dynasty pickup price point? He probably didn't even stick around, like unless you had a taxi squad or a super deep league or something like that. So I think the prism of when did they produce, did they actually show some signs early or enough to warrant holding them? Because unless they were a first or second round rookie pick, there's not a lot of patience and allegiance factor. So that's always an important just for listeners that, you know, to think of it, oh, like this guy was a hit, this guy wasn't a hit more and more. I, I am shortening the, the prism of it's pretty much got to be within the first two or three years. And that's really a sliding scale depending on how much cost you put into that player. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's why a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who finished his rookie right season yeah. at 11th in points per game, uh, yep. the, ele- the RB11, and then his ADP shot up in 2014 in startup drafts, he was going right around the 14th overall player. That year, he was the number one running back. He put up uh, the top points per game ranking as a running back. He was fourth in 2015, first in 2016, second in 2017. So you could definitely say that Le'Veon Bell was a hit. Well, imagine imagine being in the zone where you have, okay, after the rookie seasons and you're in a zone, you're like, I can take Le'Veon Bell or Eddie Lacy or Giovanni Bernard. And imagine in, you know, February of that following year, you take Lacy or Bernard. I mean, talk about high variance on that outcome of that pick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's the other thing that I wanted to uh, emphasize in this whole exercise is, you know, Giovanni Bernard finished in points per game at 17th overall and Eddie Lacy finished 12th. So in the second year, Eddie Lacy was averaging his ADP was around 12.55 in startups, whereas Le'Veon Bell was 13.73. So yeah, if you took Eddie Lacy over Le'Veon Bell, which was highly likely very good possibility, Lacy reached the best he ever had was six, sixth overall RB six. And then he went in the tank after that, uh, finished 50th, 47th, 94th, and then too much Chinese food, and he was out of the league. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's switch over to wide receivers. Um, it, wide receiver wise, we had Tavon Austin was the first wide receiver off the board in the NFL draft at eighth overall to St. Louis. DeAndre Hopkins went in the first round, 27th overall, and Cordero Patterson was 29th overall. In the second round, I'm just going to go with the second round players. Justin Hunter to Tennessee with the 34th overall pick. Robert Woods went to Buffalo with the 41st overall pick in the second round. And Aaron Dobson, big name for New England, uh, 59th overall in round two. And of those guys, Tavon Austin was the wide receiver one with a rookie ADP of the 103. DeAndre Hopkins fell constantly uh, into the 107 range. And he was yeah, too slow. Was he was too slow, Katie. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. And then Keenan Allen, who went in the third round of the NFL draft, was typically being drafted. Most people, for some reason, faded Justin Hunter. And maybe you can tell me uh, something. I remember he was tall and skinny, but 
there there had to be something about his profile that people were drafting Keenan Allen over him. He wasn't uh, super productive. I remember that. But and but Justin Hunter, the, everyone, the people that were high on him would always say, well, he's a he's a in the image of AJ Green, you know, just rangy and lanky. And he seemed to have ball skills for days. Um, but I do I, I do remember him going a little later just because he was more boom bust in his profile. Gotcha. So of the wide receivers, um, who did you end up really liking, liking <laughs> for good reason, yeah. either because of the projection model or his their film? And then which ones were you fading more than the dynasty universe at that time? I remember the guy I analyzed the most that I really was trying to figure out like he was a Rubik's Cube was Cordero Patterson because he had transferred. I remember that. And you really saw some yards after the catch moments. You saw, frankly, a, a lot of what Atlanta finally got out of him a decade later or whatever, that, uh, that you know, just a, an offensive weapon. And, and, but trying to figure out, like, can he play wide receiver? And frankly, he was, it was the biggest aspect of after year one, uh, after year one, where we were looking, uh, we were looking at, uh, Patterson after the first year where he was going very early in startup drafts off of about eight, nine, 10 points a game. And just, he had a few plays uh, with Minnesota, but it wasn't pronounced. And so I, I just remember Patterson being that linchpin and Aaron, Do- Aaron Dobson was the guy that I gravitated towards. And frankly, this is around the height of uh, uh, maybe it was a two, three, four class run of just gravitating towards the, I got for me to draft a wide receiver, man, they've got to be you know, six three, six four. I want the athletic guys, uh, but frankly, they were the guys that would come in and tease you, of like they should be good, and yet they weren't productive enough in college, and they would just struggle. They would struggle to translate that size and movement to actual NFL and fantasy production. And Dobson, again, mixing that in with the Patriots' struggles to draft wide receivers as well, he was sort of the the poster child over this span of time that just did not work out. And I remember I had a lot of Dobson for the first couple of years of his career. He actually produced a little bit in the first year on a per game basis, but fell off pretty quickly. And then one of the storyline I remember was in, in a few leagues, I had Keenan Allen and I remember doing an arbitrage trade of saying, well, Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins are pretty similar. And I ended up trading Allen after year one, who started out faster on a per game basis than Hopkins for Hopkins plus like that was one of those, you know, if I were doing like a, a, a pivot dynasty trade series or anything, that would have been one that came up a couple different times if I were recording that, uh, that first off season. But, uh, but yeah, I think this is one sto- The last storyline I would say was look at the guys that were successful and it wasn't necessarily the big time athletes. And that's been a theme over the years at wide receiver of just overstating athleticism in general, you want the big time producers in college. And Hopkins was absolutely one of those. Keenan Allen was one of those. And frankly, you could say the number three guy was Robert Woods. And I know he had a tempered ceiling for quite a while in Buffalo. It took him a while to go over to the Rams and ended up starting to produce, but he's been the third most productive guy, you know, of the drafted wide receivers of this whole class. It just took a while. And those three guys were very strong top five, top 10% producers at the college level in the model. 
Yeah, uh, some of the other bigger names that were in this class that are long forgotten. Marcus Wheaton oh. was somewhere around late first, early second in a lot of rookie drafts. And it's because Pittsburgh always did a good job of drafting wide receivers. And they had the expectation that he would be with Big Ben forever. And uh, so I remember him going. He went ahead of Robert Woods. Uh, yeah. And then Derek Rogers was oh, another he was one. A big he was one. supposed to be like hugely athletic and he was supplemental draft. Was he not? I think that was actually, I think that was actually, yeah, I think he was supplemental. I think so too. He had some, yeah, he had off field stuff out of college. I remember the other thing was, do you remember Tavon Austin and Stedman Bailey being West Virginia teammates with Geno Smith? And it was a high flying offense. And there was a lot of, you know, the, the, the analytics crowd, if you will, was like, oh, Stedman Bailey greater than Tavon Austin. And yet there was, you know, a, a 85, 90 pick difference between the two guys. But, uh, but Stedman and as Bailey, it turns out, neither one of them, neither one of them did much of anything. <laughs> and you would say, obviously the arbitrage going to Bailey, if it got you away from Austin, then that was a good thing. But, but Bailey did have some moments, you know, I believe it was with the Rams in, 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 uh, the NFL as well. So that was another one of just having two teammates that were, uh, pretty much on the the radar for a top 100 selection. Right. And Tavon Austin as the wide receiver one. And again, you know, he, he was the first one off the board in the NFL draft. But at 5'8", 179, that was what made a lot of people yeah. skeptical. The guy was and, a joystick, though. They, the Rams really yeah. did not use him. If you look up like uh, rookie year highlights, he actually had some plays. And it's like, if you you if you used him back then, like they use um, Debo Samuel or Cordero Patterson, for example, like you mix in just touches. Let's get him touches. The Rams never really did that, and he faded away in terms of prominence on that offense really quickly. Oh, absolutely, and that's why you know some people will draft landing spot more than talent. I'm more of a talent over landing spot, but when you get both the talent and the landing yeah. spot, explosive wheels up. Uh, I also remember Terrence Williams uh, as that search for the wide receiver two, or maybe he even started as the wide receiver three in Dallas. He was another, his best years were the early years, and then he pretty much frittered away. But he was another one of those uh, vertical guys, rangy, uh, that that had some prominence. And part of that, like you said, was landing spot going to Dallas being a prominent, prominent team. Right. So while we had one running back out of this class that actually made the biggest fantasy impact. We had uh, several different wide receivers, but the, the number one value has to be DeAndre Hopkins. And as you mentioned, his, his rookie season, he was actually points per game ranked 66th overall, and Keenan Allen was 20th. So doing what you did, getting a DeAndre Hopkins type plus something on top of that for Keenan Allen, that is just sharp, savvy. Well, well, and to look and to look back, you know, a lot of the the thresholds and, you know, who's on a success track or bus track Hopkins was actually still above the uh, sort of bus track, uh, you know, path after year one. So Hopkins, if we were going back and evaluating using the same sort of practices today, Hopkins would have been a buy after year one, when you talk about how strong his profile was entering the NFL and not overreacting to a guy that ran, I think it was four five seven, you know, back then and having first round pedigree. And sh- sure enough, 
you got very quick returns because he he ventured uh, into the top 20 and then he was a wide receiver one in year three. So you got quick uh, a quick wraparound value um, after year one where there might have been a little bit of a discount after rookie acquisition the year before. Absolutely. He has started 136 regular season games that have counted towards fantasy. 18 of those have been top five weeks. So 13%. Again, not, not bad, not too shabby. 40 weeks in the top 12, 29%, and 67 weeks, 49% in the top 24. So he's been a set it and forget it guy for a long, long time and the biggest value at wide receiver and Hopkins's peak, you know, one, one divider is Hopkins's peak of, of those big time seasons. Just when you look at those top two or three years better than Keenan Allen, they've both been, you know, they both had five plus years uh, where just set it and forget it auto start players. And they're there's, I know Hopkins was down this past year, but uh, yeah, I mean, they've been, they've been absolute monsters dwarfing everybody else. And I would, I would give a, a shout out. I know, you know, one guy we haven't mentioned is Kenny Stills. Like he went to the the Saints from day three. He had a good profile as well. I know it didn't work out fantasy wise. I think he dribbled into the top 40 for, for his best year, but he was hyper young. So if you're looking for that, he was in the top 10% of the model. So in the sleeper zone, he is someone that could have ventured onto rosters uh, back then through, uh, through process. Yeah. And he would have been very cheap to acquire. He was third round, like late third round, fourth round, if you had four rounds or more oh, yeah. in your rookie drafts. So, um, and the one guy that I didn't mention earlier, but I want to mention before we move on, and this is a running back that came out of nowhere to be fantasy relevant for a short period of time, but that was Theo Riddick. I uh, yep. played for Detroit and for a while he had the starting gig and, and he was a PPR maven. He was somebody that you could start every single week. And he wasn't even in the top 50 in his rookie class. Well, and also Spencer Ware, you know, he's another one that he had one season in the sun. I remember he was an injury away guy sort of venturing around uh, Kansas city was the, probably the place he was most prominent. I don't know if he played yeah. other spots, but he was another one that, again, it took a while. I'm sure he changed teams or just sat out there on the waiver wire for a while. But, and I still remember uh, that was the, uh, so Spencer Ware was the guy that got hurt and it was the next week, Damien Williams, right? It was that yeah. sequencing when they were both mid career there in Kansas city after who was the starter. Do you remember Katie? that one year, uh, a few years ago. Right. And so it went was it Nile Davis. No, no, um, it, was a, it was a bigger starter than that. It was a, it was a, like a declared guy. And so anyway, but, but, but it was supposed to be Spencer Ware and redraft. Everyone spent their budget. And then the savvy pickup was the preempt. Uh, honestly, that kind of started the preemptive pickup, uh, tagline for, for UTH, because it was like, you know, no, Damian Williams is the guy that's out here and you still have a window, the whole, what if something happens this next week? And sure enough, you get the perfect storm and Spencer Ware happened the next week, got hurt. And Damian Williams ran people to a title in those closing couple of games. Yep. Now I know that unless it's tight end premium, there's probably not a whole lot of love for tight end, but, uh, the first, the only one first round NFL was Tyler Eifert. He was drafted 21st overall to Cincinnati. Zach Ertz and Gavin Escobar were second round picks. Um, 35th Philadelphia for Zach Ertz and 47th overall to Dallas, Gavin Escobar. I remember he was somebody that was 
chatted around a little bit here and there. Vance McDonald was also a second round pick, uh, 55th overall. And then we had a, a pair of third round picks you may or may not have heard of. Um, <laughs> Travis Kelsey, 63rd overall, Jordan Reed, 85th overall. And they both went on, uh, obviously, Kelsey, the, the more longevity than any of these other guys. But Jordan yeah. Reed had a, a good career for a lot of that time. And then, you know, it dropped off. But as far as ADP for tight end, Tyler Eifert in a non-tight end premium format was going early second, late first for the most part. And, and, that, and that's historically par for the course. If you get a first round tight end, that later first, early second, somewhere, you know, Kyle Pitts is a is an, a unicorn exception to the rule. And every once in a while you get a, a first rounder that might fade. But that's generally, I would, I, I would call it late first, early second. If you just want to think, you know, tight end, first round, where do they go in a stock format? Uh, historically, that's typically where. Yep. And then then you could wait until the end of the second to get guys like Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey. And then you could pick your poison and wait until the third round and get a guy like Jordan Reed or Gavin Escobar. But uh, and Jordan Reed was really that first guy that a lot of people said, well, he's a you know, he's a hybrid wide receiver and a tight ends body. He's going to be split out a lot. Like, I don't remember. I, yes, there were cases, but I remember now we think back to Jordan Reed sort of uh, starting that process. And the hilarious thing is, is that a lot of guys that we put into that mold over, you know, since Jordan Reed's class were far more athletic. Jordan Reed ran 472 at 236 pounds, like 472 is not that great. And yet we saw him be utilized in a slot capacity, standing up, not, not hand in the ground a ton. He did it, but I mean, he was going to be utilized as a receiver in the NFL. And I, I'll just remember the, the prototype, if you will, of Jordan Reed. And now we talk about that basically on an annual basis. Right. And the funny thing about, you know, you had Tyler Eifert in the first round and then uh, Zach Ertz in the second, Travis Kelsey in the third, Jordan Reed in the third, but Jordan Reed finished his rookie season eighth in points oh, yeah. per game Instant. at the tight end position. Instantly and, relevant and impactful. And yet, obviously, what we were going to remember from Jordan Reed, a little bit like Tyler Eifert as well, of just can he stay healthy? And I know Reed probably more than Eifert, but both of them, you say, what could have been if they had a run of health like Zach Ertz? or Travis Kelsey, uh, where they really, and frankly, Vance McDonald had that issue too, of being a talented guy that uh, durability and being on the injury list and just never really coming back for long enough to put it all together. That, that really is going to be what, what tainted good profiles. Yeah. I mean, if you look at their careers, Jordan Reed ended up with 75 NFL uh, regular season starts. Eifert ended up with 74 Zach Ertz, 132, and so yeah. far, Travis Kelsey, 125. Uh, but Jordan Reed immediately climbed draft boards and was the first tight end off the board after the first year. But then he he also earned it, being eighth in points per game. His second year, he went to 18, but then he was first and first. And then he lost that uh that honor to Travis Kelsey, who Travis Kelsey had zero his first year. He didn't even start a game yeah. his first year and his ADP was over 500. He was being drafted uh, really, really late. And he was, so he was a big uh, Sigmund Bloom or Matt Waldman. I can't remember which 
they were more bullish on him. And it might've been after year one, it might've been as prospects. Um, but yeah, like you said, again, how many times did Travis Kelsey change, change hands in dynasty? Because when you, when you have a donut, when you have a pretty much a non-existent rookie season, it depends on the format, the depth and how you're stashing that player to say if they survive or not. Exactly. So even if you did get him in late round two, after his rookie season, you might have bailed and not ever seen the, the fruits of your labor. Uh, he ended up in years two and three, finishing ninth overall at tight end points per game. But then that was it. He was second, second, first, first, first. Load. He's a monster. Uh, yeah, he's been Mr. Consistent. And the biggest value at tight end, although Zach Ertz is pretty close, but 125 games played. He's had 47 of them, 38% <laughs> of them as a top five tight wow. end in points per game. 83, 66% of the time, he was a tight end one with the top 12 finish. Uh, and that includes week. the early years where, again, yes. it was very helter skelter. Yes. If you exactly. if you take that out over the last five, six years, it, those numbers are even higher. I Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then 111 times out of 125, 89% of the time, he's been at least top 24. So wow. if you were playing two tight end, Travis Kelsey was just a no-brainer. I mean, I don't think that needs to be uh, overstated or understated or whatever. The one but- other thing I would say about this class is that Gavin Escobar is a really good tale because I remember that we had Martellus Bennett go to Dallas with pedigree, just like Gavin Escobar. I will say Martellus Bennett was a better prospect than Gavin Escobar, but what do they have in common? They were both waiting for Mr. Iron Man, Mr. Durability, and Mr. Production there with, uh, with Jason Witten to move on. And so a lot of people at this point thought Jason Witten was going to uh, hand over the reins to Gavin Escobar. A, that didn't happen. And B, like Gavin Escobar is a, a, a great example of saying you can't like there, this injury away thing at tight end is only in deeper two tight end leagues. And yes, there was pedigree here, but he still was not a very good athlete, a little lumbering. They used him in a secondary fashion on like jump balls. I remember a red zone type stuff, uh, Joseph Faria style. And for Escobar, uh, where'd you say he was going in rookie drafts? Like in, in one tight end, was he even really getting drafted? No, he wasn't. Really. It was okay. beyond, beyond the third but just round. That, but just that patience play of like, so you're waiting for an Iron Man player in Jason Witten to move on, and then we'll see if Escobar's any good. Like that to me of like just using the roster spot in that fashion. And we'll see, you know, as we go through the weeks and the classes, how many times situations like that uh, occurred. But Escobar turned into a long and non-fruitful wait. Yeah, uh, tight end position is weird because it does take a while usually to become relevant. And then once you get there, it's hard to break out of, like, unless you get injured, you're probably going to dominate at that position once you make it, like Travis Kelsey, like Jordan Reed, like Zach Ertz. It's very sticky year over year once you start doing it. And by it, we mean you know, you're a highly productive player for your team and for, you know, Darren Waller style. I mean, it it can take you a while, but once you're there, lock and load, you're probably going to get new contracts and all of those types of things. Exactly. So it's not really worth a whole lot of, um, whether it's startup draft or rookie draft, it's not worth a whole lot of capital chasing those tight ends that haven't done it 
the yes, Irv's, or Irv's that mess. are still yeah. an injury away or waiting for some guy to retire yeah. or whatever. They're so easy to pick up off waiver wires. Right. Next, ma- next man up. And it's like, well, why don't you just take the man up right now? I mean, exactly. You have to... So unless it's a two start two tight end where you really want a lot more uh, guys on your bench, I personally prefer to keep as few tight ends as possible, just keep, especially if it's start one tight end, even with a little bit of a premium, I like to bump it up and get a stud, bump it up and get yeah. a stud instead of continually chasing. Try and to get an auto start lock and load guy that you don't have to worry about. And now you're like, well, I now I don't have to worry about it. It's a very and then you can easy spend the management of the position. Yeah. Right. And then you can spend the rest of your extra uh, roster spots on running backs that are in injury away that actually will have an impact on your team. Just to mention a few other uh, deeper names, I do remember kind of storyline, uh, you know, remembrance of, you know, old guy talking at the clouds. Uh, Joseph Farier was a guy that came out. He had a, uh, some touchdowns. I remember it was something like a third of his catches or whatever were like red zone or goal line touchdowns. So he was a, a big rangy guy that actually had some value, I think, going into year two and then it, it frittered away. And this was also the class of Zach Sudfeld. If you remember for Katie, did he start on the Patriots? Zach Sudfeld, or I remember he was with the Jets for one moment in time that there was buzz about him and, oh, he's ripping up uh, workouts or training camp or whatever. It never turned into anything, but there was one pocket of a couple months maybe that there was an opportunity. He bounced around and maybe he was on the Jets actually years later. Was um, he an undrafted free agent? I oh, yeah. Even... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was, okay. he was someone I didn't even have in, you know, as a prospect. I added him when he was relevant, you know, later on. Uh, but he was just a big guy with okay athleticism. I think he might have even been a positional convert or something. He really didn't produce much at all in college. But he was another name. And and another one, a final one, would be Josh Hill. Because remember, we played the Izzy or Izzy, isn't he going to be uh, potentially that uh, Escobar style? Was he going to be the starter for the Saints at some point in time? He was behind, I think... Uh, uh, Jimmy Graham, uh, injury away. And then he had some opportunities. He had one off season and then they brought in, uh, who is it? Uh, Ben Watson. They brought in Ben Watson, uh, when it looked like it was going to align for Josh Hill mid career. And then he's just been passed over. He's been re-signed, but he's always been the bridesmaid that tight end two uh, on the saints. And, but he's carved out quite a career for himself, even though it hasn't been fantasy wise. Yeah. Um, and I remember there have been a couple times where even Ryan Griffin is still yes. thrown around as he's somebody. Still, what a career for him, right? I mean, barely getting drafted and he's still kicking around. Durability has been part of it, but he was with Houston and he's had two or three teams since. Exactly. So tight end, basically what we're trying to say is uh, unless it's start two, don't chase. Well, you got to wait for them to produce. I mean, it's a a very much wait for them to produce to a good enough level so that the the career arc comps start to come together. And and you did get that with Eifert with, well, round one pedigree, but Ertz produced relatively early. You got Kelsey by year two, Jordan Reed right away. Um, So the ones that ended up producing and, you know, Vance McDonald had a, a, a moment or two later on in his career. But again, you're not waiting for that. You would wait all the way until he starts doing it and you see where he's out there in your leagues. Yep. And then quarterback. <laughs> the, the, I love how you week- save the best for last. Yeah. The, the weakness of this class and, or I mean, yeah, of this year. And uh, we only had one first round quarterback. It was EJ Manuel. He was 16th overall to Buffalo. 
Geno Smith went in the second round, 39th overall to the Jets. Mike Glennon, Tampa Bay, uh, 73rd in the third round. And then we had four fourth rounders. Matt Barkley was projected to go higher, but ended up slipping to Philadelphia. Classic USC quarterback with no arm strength. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the funny thing is, I mentioned this from the Senior Bowl. I think that this year may be a lot like the two. I was almost going to say it. They're going to get more picks in the top 45 or 50, but we may not see the first one off the board till the teens. Absolutely. Right. And so you get a guy like EJ Manuel, who was big and strong. He came out of the ego, though. I don't remember that year. He was a surprise pick. Like a lot of people thought Geno Smith was going to be the, 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 the QB one and that EJ Manuel, not a lot of people were expecting him that high at all. No, no, they weren't. But he had everybody could understand it when you looked at it. He was right. 6'4, 237. And, you know, this big, strong guy that everybody figured he has the biggest upside that kind of reminds two, big hands. I mean, he had some appeal and he came, actually came out in the projection model with the highest score. Geno Smith was just okay, but the rest of the class just poor across the board. And, and sure enough, I mean, those were the only two picks in the top first two rounds. Right. And unfortunately the ADP is not super flex, but do you recall where EJ Manuel no, was? I was, going I was actually going to ask you, Katie, what do you think in terms of, percentage of dynasty leagues that were super flex in 2013 versus 2022 i it's probably 4x5 i mean we're probably venturing close to do i dare say half i, I mean i, I would say it's, i know it's for us be. it feels higher but i'm just saying like there's still plenty of dynasty leagues that are one qb and people that play on you know platforms where that's still regularly offered yeah so um, i i really don't know where they would have gone but you know with the it was philosophy- probably it was probably only like 10% of leagues back then if that were super flex right but it, one of the things i want to point out there are some people out there that will say no matter what you've got to draft a quarterback in the first round of your rookie drafts if it's super flex you've got to take the quarterback right. especially if they were around one well you and <laughs> i you and i agree that that's not necessarily the case um a lot of it depends on who the who the running backs are in the other positions. Well, I think in general, it's like tight end. I mean, like you really do. You you stress all the time. I mean, how about you let them prove it to you at a really tough position a little bit and and be a little, uh, you know, open to age or a profile that got beat down because they had a bit of a down year the year before, but they've been productive and highly so in the NFL. And Man, I mean, this this might become a theme. We'll see how it goes over the the remaining rookie drafts that we we look over here. But yeah, I mean, taking a shot on Geno Smith, who had a big a big name coming out of college, EJ Manuel with with first round pedigree. It, this just goes to show you. I mean, they you got almost nothing out of those guys. And I was actually going to ask you, Katie, from how you're looking at the lens of this, who's the least bad selection? Who's the the quote unquote success of this class looking I back. I don't, I don't have one. Well, no, no, no. Think, like of the bad ones, who's the best one? Who's Gino the best Smith. bad one? Gino okay. Smith, as far as you at least yeah, got a couple return, years. Yeah. You got some return on your investment if, if that was your guy. Uh, but it depends because, because Michael, Mike Lennon also wasn't that bad in Tampa Bay before they drafted Jameis Winston. Right, exactly. Mike Lennon had some longevity, but Geno Smith ended up starting 45 games. He was, if if it was a super flex, 53% of the time, he was at least top 24. Okay. Um, yeah. So, 
you you got some use out of him. And you got more time as an injury away guy. I mean, who knows how long that lasted? Again, my memory very yeah. much stinks. He wasn't really on the radar on a on a potentially starting radar. Yeah. Mike Lennon had 39 starts and he was 46% of the time at least a top 24. He didn't have any top five weeks, whereas Geno Smith had three top five, uh, 7%. It you know, we should, we could all, five. we should also mention, you know, one of these wild card names, you know, Cordero Patterson turned into a wild card name in his career, but this is the class of Denard Robinson yeah. who was a college Position quarterback. Five. And then is he going to play, you know, play running back, you know, have the ball in his hands. Certainly not a quarterback. This was one of those names, one of those classes that had a quarterback in college, but we got to find something else for you, my man. And, and that was, that was one here. Cause when I saw him on your list, you know, that you, that we share, you know, before the show that I was like, Denard Robinson, Denard Robinson. I was like, I don't remember evaluating him much at all because I was very, at that point, I'm more open to it now. The Jacob Harris is of the world. We'll see how that turns out. But the positional converts, I was very much of the, well, I don't really know what to do here. I, you know, I don't know what to do with my hands because they weren't productive. Like, you know, if you have a, a running back that's going to play wide receiver or vice versa, it it's a, through a completely different lens. And they they basically all have a minimal production score because it's like, well, you didn't really do that. And so Denard Robinson, you ran around a little bit, but you played quarterback. So I don't really know how to evaluate that from a running back, wide receiver, offensive weapon sort of standpoint. Right. And the thing with Denard Robinson, um, he did play a little wide receiver as well as running back in the NFL, but uh, he lasted for only a few short seasons. And then, but he was so cheap. He was a third round yeah. dart throw. If you wanted to take that chance, he was one of those NFL draft talking points. So I remember where it's just, you know, big program at Michigan. He was a relevant player for them uh, leading that offense. But fantasy wise, obviously, it was a much different story going into the draft than out of it. Right. So what's your what's your overall thoughts of this class? Like when we look back at do you kind of and maybe we'll have a better sense as we go through more of these and have a similar discussion in how we handle the classes. But you know, in the first round, we certainly had, you know, some guy, we, we had plenty of complete whiffs. You didn't get much of anything at all. We had a few big hits, but it was very much boom bust, uh, with, with a few in the middle, but the few in the middle, it's interesting to see how it really is like a year or two. So that whole allegiance of the roster spot might not have been overly long, uh, with many of these, even with first round rookie draft pedigree. Yeah, I wish that I could go back. I wasn't playing Dynasty in 2013. I started in 2014. But with the knowledge that I have now to be able to go back, like I wonder if I had been playing Debbie for two or three years, I probably would have recognized this as a pretty weak class. Um, the, the class overall is typically for fantasy purposes going to be considered weak if it has weak quarterbacks and weak running backs, that is what makes a draft class for fantasy wide receivers. They come and go, you can find them. You can trade for them pretty easily. Even if they start to stud out, you, you still are going to have somebody that's trying to get out while they think they're getting out on the, you know, before they bust or whatever. And then tight end, you can either, buy those with with all the extra running backs or quarterbacks that you've got or, or whatever the case may be. But I really think I would like to think that with what I know now, if I were playing back at that time, 
I probably would have either been advising people to trade their rookie picks for the 2014 season because yeah. uh, we would have, if we were playing Debbie at that time, we would have recognized that 2014 was going to be a boom class. Uh, so it's just interesting to look back and, and to see that, hey, there's only one running back that really made it. There's only one, there's only like three or four active wide receivers now uh and and most of them were value because deandre hopkins as i said was 107 to late first keenan allen was late first and i've even heard that keenan allen was going in some third rounds of some rookie draft so he was a big depending on your format and what people liked robert woods was a steal but would he have been on your team by the time he finally hit in year six year five um so this is just nine years ago, Chad. I know nine years ago, and there's only it's interesting a, to see we've got of, we've got some still playing though, which is yeah. which is interesting to to track. You know who's still around, and Hopkins and Allen, you know, still chugging along. Robert Woods as well coming back from injury. The tight end, Travis Kelsey, yeah. uh, Zachary. Uh, two 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 final things I wanted to say. One, we didn't sure. mention Andre Ellington talking about running back. Where he, there were people on him, Katie, like nobody's business of like. Oh, this is magical. He's playing right away with Arizona. He ended up being a complete Fugazi when you look at it as a subsized player, did not have the requisite athleticism. He fell off relatively quickly. And I did want to give a Debbie slash college slash what if dot 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 um, uh, homage here to Marcus Lattimore. Because for people that are, uh, again, whether it's young enough or young enough uh, in Dynasty, that Marcus Lattimore, what I'll say is, his freshman season at South Carolina, I'm getting a little tingly talking about it because you don't get it. I mean, these retrospectives are perfect because, I mean, you don't just randomly in conversation and bring up Marcus Lattimore, but he was, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. I mean, let's, let's just, he was the equivalent of say B. John Robinson of just right away coming in prototypical man amongst boys looks the part and just saying, can we just bubble wrap him and get him to get him to the NFL? And it was sad that we couldn't. He had multiple knee injuries. He still went in the mid rounds of the NFL of what could he become. But after his freshman, that freshman season for Marcus Lattimore, and I'm sure playing Debbie back then, he would have been huge in the drafts, the discussions, the trades that that next offseason. And it really did propel him to still being viewed like this of a potential and many times first round rookie pick when he got to the NFL, because it's like, if the guy can just stay healthy, maybe that's Zamir White. You know, is that someone that we're discussing in that vein? Uh, even though Lattimore, I will say his peak in college when he was right was bigger than Zamir White um, and some of these other players. So he's another one of just, he might have been a right now a completely different discussion and a different outcome in the NFL entirely had he maintained his health beyond that freshman season. Yeah. Well, I'll, I don't really have any final thoughts other than to say I'm very excited to continue this yeah. uh, under the helmet flashback series with 2014 next week. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for putting it together, Katie. And uh, 2013 just starts the journey. And, and I think we're going to have even greater firsthand, here's exactly what was going on in rookie drafts by the year. This was, this was really the, the lie in the sand where 14 started it for me and 13 was a little grainy in my non-bear trap kitty flower memory of, of what was actually going on uh, in the leagues that I did play because I was playing some, uh, I had a, a pretty healthy mix between true dynasty 
uh, uh, auction keeper and uh, still redraft at that time. So uh, it really was the the last one of uh, kind of a prequel, I, I guess, before 2014, a lot of startups and obviously uh, the UTH site starting and everything. Um, so Katie Flower, if you want to find her between episodes, um, we're going to try to weave in uh, a lot of the discussion on maybe how there's parallels between some of these classes and 2022 during this journey as well through NFL free agency, the NFL combine. But again, Katie Flower is always available to you on Twitter at FF underscore Scholar 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. You're hearing straight through on this show. And part of that is because we have no advertising. If you want to support the show in some form or fashion, sign up as a general manager plus subscriber. You're going to get all those premium podcasts on an annual basis. Right now, a lot of dynasty trading thoughts. Uh, you're getting uh, a look back at the veteran profiles, a look ahead for player value, trades to be made. Uh, Going to have some startup series as well during these prime couple of months before the NFL draft. And you can also support it by going to patreon.com slash UTH. Find some content from Tim Torch, myself, and uh, there's VIP chat as well if you're interested. So for Katie Flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. Every every carries a wrestling match. That's what I said with Eddie Lacy. Yeah, that's- Peterson. It's kind of an attractive wrestling match. Lacy was an ugly one with sumo wrestlers, but like, well, that's the other factor. Is this the front of the underwear or the back? You're wringing the whole thing out. You're talking about underwear sweat that's here. True. It's not like you can just wring one section and be like, true. I'm just gonna get this little couple drops here. Just couple talking, right from the top near the band. No, right, no, no. We're talking like thing. grandma before she goes and hangs line or clothes out on the line when you were this a kid. Is lacy after the cardio test day. Right. He's sitting there huffing and puffing. Right. As you said, you 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 mash up and, and ball the entire thing of underwear to ream all the sweat out. You're getting the full thing. This yeah, is like yeah, cocktail. you're getting the full Monty. This is this is, this is you know, an undercarriage cocktail. Like, <laughs> right. You don't know, as you said, you don't right. know. Getting. You're getting pieces. You're getting liquid. Yeah, this is a Grundle cocktail. You know, Eddie Lacy heard that comedy. He was like, "I got to get my life in order." These <laughs> couple, <laughs> couple of UTH idiots are making fun of me. And right. I swear to God, after this last hamburger, I'm done. It's like, I got to shut these guys up. This is the off season. I'm going to make it happen, Captain. Like he might beat you by a tenth. I don't even know if he'd Maybe. beat me. You don't think he could? I don't know. I'm not saying like I'm the most athletic guy, but I'm pretty quick. No, but like, but but what we're saying is is AC is Lacey a lock to beat like four nine? Is what we're saying. No, and I no. think I, could, I think I could run a four seven right now, like not even what? stretch, not even stretching. A four seven? Yep. Feel like I don't know, like he had corrective LASIK surgery, just like in the reverse, reverse. fashion. I don't know. You got the I, discount LASIK. <laughs> right, black market LASIK. One eye for free. That's that's what happens. <laughs> Buy one, get one. DeAndre Hopkins is a great athlete. Is is that certifiably true? No. I would I would say he's average at best. What are you comparing him to? Me? Are you comparing someone off the street? Oh, he's a great athlete. He is great. He's excellent. He's an elite athlete compared to myself. Compared to some regular person but compared to nfl wide receivers and especially if you compare him to other first round receivers the closer you get to quote unquote his peers not so special 
Kristen Michaels kind of like the dynasty pinata that everybody's just been beating and nothing's been coming out. Oh my god, Kristen Michaels isn't going to be on the 45-man roster. My life is over. What's going on here? 